0: receive that? Amen. Lord, we just receive that right now. We receive that word that you've given to us. We receive the encouragement. We receive the truth and we will step forward in our anointing in Jesus name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. If you're still standing, you can go ahead and be seated for just a few minutes here. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tommy, for stepping out. The Lord's releasing fresh boldness in your life. As you walk through what you're going through, the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful, and you're going to see the things that you've been praying for. You're going to see the things, but you're going to step into boldness. You're, there's going to be times where you've hesitated in the past, and now there's going to be no hesitation. The boldness of God be upon you, in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And I hope I can communicate this message today. Um, and this message I want to bring is about... Uh, Basically, breaking or the remedy for spiritual barrenness. So I believe God wants to speak to us through the life of the birth of Jesus and kind of the, the account that starts there. And we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Scripture. Uh, some of them we won't all look at, but we're going to... Basically, I'm telling you, we're going to preach the whole Bible today. So... <laughs> It's only eleven oh five, so thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. So you know, <clears throat> the idea of of barrenness in the Bible is kind of like like sprinkled throughout uh, the Old Testament, especially, and at the beginning of the New Testament, there's this idea of, and it's and it's talking about physical barrenness, but there's there's many ties to the to the spiritual side, and so I'm not talking about physically uh, having babies today. Thank you, Jesus, for in my in my family. Um, but I am talking about spiritually having new life be birthed in us. Amen. Sometimes we find ourselves in seasons where we don't we don't think anything's going on, where we feel like. We're just we're just a barren wasteland, you know. It's it's like there's no life, there's no freshness, there's nothing new, and that's exactly the place uh, that Jesus was born into. Jesus was born in a time where nobody had heard from God for 400 years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine there was no prophetic word, there was nothing fresh from God? I mean. Wasn't that awesome when, when, when somebody gets up? Like when Tommy got up and shared, you're like, that, that was something fresh, right? That was like, ooh, that was encouraging. That was, that was, there was something being released in it. That hadn't happened for 400 years. Think about that. I mean, think about your life. You're like, man, I haven't heard from God in four days or four months or whatever. We'll try 400 years. Try generation upon generation. And so that's, that's where the people of God were at this time. It says that there was the, it's called the silent years. The last 400 years before the birth of Jesus was the silent years. And the good news is that it was never God's intention for us to stay barren spiritually. It was never God's intention for us to stay in that place of unfruitfulness, that place uh, of deadness. And so the birth of Jesus is not only the announcement of salvation, it's the announcement of everything life-giving on earth. And so God does that by having two babies be born. The first baby is John the Baptist and the second baby is Jesus. The first one was a couple who wanted to have kids and couldn't their whole life. So they were were barren, physically barren. The second one was someone who wasn't necessarily wanting to have a baby yet. And for one whom it was impossible to have children... Because she had never been with a man yet, yet she has a child. So let's 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 read those those accounts here. If you're not familiar with it, it's in Luke chapter one, and starting in verse five is the story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and their baby who becomes who is John the Baptist. So we're going to read from verse five. We're going to read quite a bit of the scripture here, if you don't mind. Holy Spirit, open the Word of God to us. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all God's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both... Very old. So she was barren. And once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So this is the moment right here where the silence is broken. Heaven begins to speak for the first time in 400 years. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John." He'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so then Zechariah says this, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Come on, bro, there hasn't been any, any appearances of God or angels or anything for 400 years and one shows up and you're like, really, is that going to happen? <laughs> you're in the temple of God and... Uh, okay, anyway, that's kind of what Ga- I'm translating what Gabriel says. Really? <laughs> man, I haven't got to do nothing for 400 years. <laughs> and I got to show up on earth and give you a message today and you will You're like, well, I'm pretty old, man, come on. <laughs> I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. In other words, this is from God. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You know, when heaven speaks, we better believe it. When heaven speaks, it's meant to be, the response is meant to be a response of faith. And we'll see the response of faith from Mary in just a second. So it says, basically, I'll summarize the rest of the story. Zechariah comes out. He can't talk. Everybody's like, something happened to this guy in there. And he was in there a really long time. And they're like, he had an encounter with God or an angel or something. And he goes home and his wife becomes pregnant. And so the promise of the Lord, she's like thankful to God for the favor upon her life. So, verse 26, so we've got that first one there, is the announcement to Zechariah. And the second one, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so this six months later after she conceives, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly t- troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. You know, isn't it amazing right there? This is something you never, maybe never thought of. That's the first time anybody knew who must what Messiah's name was. There had been a whole lot of talk about the Messiah coming. There had been a whole lot of the people of God were looking for somebody. They're like, He's going to come. He's going to come. And even though it's been silent for 400 years, we know He's going to come. And they may have been doing the math, adding up the weeks from Daniel and the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, which I won't address today, but I can tell you it was was 490 years. And this is about, you know... 400 and close to 90 years later, and so they're, ex- they're expectant. They're, they're wondering if something is going to happen. But this is the first time that anybody has ever heard Jesus, the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Mary got to hear his name first. He will be great, verse 32, he'll be great and would be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now I want you to notice Mary, Mary's response. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Notice that Zachariah said, how can this be? Two very different things. Sometimes faith is just, just switching a word. Because Mary's like, how will this be? In other words, this is going to happen, but how is it going to happen? Rather than doubting it's going to happen like Zechariah. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren or unable to conceive is in her sixth month for... No word from God will ever fail, or nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And so what is happening here is spiritual life is entering the people of God, and it hasn't been there for a long time. I can't preach the whole Bible today, but I'm going to try. So... (laughs) Think I can do it, Stephen? Oh, yeah. Thank you. My wife is not in here. So I don't see her. She's left. Uh, she, she's helping with children's areas somewhere. So if you think about this, the people of God, they wandered away from God. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this is a very quick summary Okay, they got a king, and every time they got a king, most of the kings were bad, and they wandered away from God, and they worshipped other other gods, they they just wouldn't worship the one true God, they just kept going away, They it, you know, it wasn't no one else but you, it's like, yeah, you, but I want someone else too, um, instead, the wrong song was being sung by their hearts, and so they were continually drawn away to Isles, and then finally, God said, the only thing I can do is allow you to be captured and taken away from your own homeland. And so they were captured and taken away from their homeland. And for a season they were, they were in the land of Babylon and they were, they were captives, they were slaves, they were... Uh you know, and even in the midst of that, God was raising up people, you know, like Daniel and his three friends, and making a testimony of who God is, and all this good stuff is going on. But it was a very hard time, and they're they're wondering if they're ever going to get back home. And they get back home, and actually, the people of God finally, for this season, they they throw away all their other gods. As we pick up with Jesus in the New Testament, they're not they're not their problem is not worshiping idols but now they've created their own their own religion basically they've created their own way to follow god that's apart from his written word they've taken some of it and they've added onto it and they've made it a, a religious burden a ritualistic thing not a relationship with a loving god and so even though they had the idolatry out of them now they have spiritual Deadness and apathy and barrenness in their life they're not bearing fruit, and in the beginning, now we go all the way back to the start of the Bible. Here, what happens in the beginning, right? The world is created, Adam and Eve are there, and God gives them a decree, right he gives them a, he gives them a mission, and their mission was what? Take dominion and what be fruitful and multiply in other words. Fill the earth. In other words, you're supposed to take what I have given you, the goodness of your life and your relationship with me, and you're supposed to spread it around everywhere, to everyone, to every area on earth. Now, of course, the first people turn away from God, right? They, they sin. Adam and Eve sin. They eat the fruit. What happens is the, the devil comes to the woman... I'm going to be very careful here, right? (laughs) Everybody, help me out, Michael. (laughs) Michael's going to slap me if I do something wrong, okay? In brotherly love. (laughs) And so the devil comes to the woman and she is what? Deceived. And she takes the fruit and she disobeys God and she turns to the man Who's not deceived doesn't say he was deceived. It says he just went ahead and did it. (laughs) Okay, so we're making the the guys look bad and the girls look good, right? That's, That's the goal right here. So the woman was deceived and the man was not and they both ate of the fruit though and then spiritual barrenness, death, enters their life, right? And it enters all creation. And in that moment... God makes a promise. It's the first promise in the Bible. It's found, if you're taking notes, in Genesis 3:15. There was no need for the promises of God before the fall of man. The promises of God were only put into creation because we needed them. Be- before, we were already living in the promise. There was no need to have the promises made because you were automatically living in the fullness and the blessing of the promise of God. But in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, God gives a promise, and the promise is this. Someday, someone's going to come from your, from your womb, woman, and that seed will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise his heel. That's basically Genesis 3.15. What that is saying is that someday... There's going to be one born of a woman who's going to conquer the devil even though the devil, the serpent, bites him on the heel, you know, strikes his heel. But it's not, in other words, the striking of the heel is not a mortal or ending blow to their life. And, of course, we know now we look back on that. We're looking back through the cross where it says, you know, we know, okay, that seed is... Jesus and that woman is Mary. Uh, Adam and Eve probably thought it was their next child. They probably thought it was Seth because they had Cain and Abel and then one of them you know, killed, You know, Cain killed Abel and then Cain's off and then they're like, we're waiting for the promised one, the seed to come. And so anyway, that's, that's totally free. So what happens when God redeems the world I'm trying to walk you through something here. I hope it, it, if it can get communicated from my mind, it would be amazing. Uh, that what happens is God comes first to broken man, Zechariah, as a representative. He's not represented everybody. He's not like Jesus. But comes to the brokenness of humanity and says, I'm going to heal your brokenness. And your wife is going to be able to conceive a child. And it's not just about you. I mean, can you think about that? this I don't think God ever does anything just for just us. There's, there's always It's always meant to be multiplied. In other words, hey, you're supposed to take what you have and share it. That's why the Tower of Babel was so wrong. It's like, they're like, we're not going to go. We're not going to leave. In a, we're going to one place and we're going to build ourselves a tower to heaven and we're not going to... You know, it's total disobedience to God's plan for creation. We're going to stay in one place and we're going to make our way to heaven on our own. And that was free, too. So, um, so God comes to Zechariah and says, I'm going to, to burst something in the middle of your brokenness, but then he comes to the woman, and this time the woman is not deceived. This time the woman receives. And as Mary, the woman receives receives, spiritual life is released to all of creation. The, it was the birth, the conception of the beginning of salvation forever and ever and ever. So in that moment, there's redemption. Not only isn't it just fascinating that God says, uh, you know, I know the woman was, gets the bad rap. In the start, and she was the one that the serpent deceived. But the woman is the one who receives first. Who were the first ones at the tomb of Jesus? The women. What's up, dudes? (laughs) After that, everything changed, though. The men finally did rise up and take their place and be leaders. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God, the promise of a seed, the promise of, of spiritual life, the promise of salvation, the promise of deliverance, the promise of transformation, the promise of, of, of healing, the promise of restoration, the promise of redemption. Everything comes through Jesus. And if you look in the Old Testament, it's interesting, there's all kinds of accounts of barrenness in the Old Testament, of physical barrenness. And I think of three main ones. Number one is Abraham and Sarah. Okay? Abraham and Sarah, it says they were unable to have children, right? But God promised them, you're going to have children. And so they, they do all kinds of things to make it happen, Right? Because there's two things that happen when we, our human answer to barrenness is many times, number one is shame. We're like, what's wrong with me? And we do that spiritually too, right? Do you do that sometimes if you're in a dry season? If you're, if you're going through a hard time, you, you can go, sometimes you can just go right to shame and go, what's wrong with me? It's not the right response, but we're just saying this is what happened. And the other thing we do is we try to just say, okay, I'm in this place of spiritual barrenness, so I've got I to do something to, to make this happen. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. They tried, okay, the promise of God, I'm not seeing it right now, so I'm going to make it happen. So we're going to... We're going to try to make sure we can have children by having Abraham have children with another woman and it's going to count for Abraham though and that's going to be the promise of God. And that created a whole new set of problems that we are still experiencing today that I won't go into. But so that's, that's the response many times. The second person in scripture, but, okay, hold on, before I move on, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Help me out. <laughs> Reign me in. Of course, ultimately, Abraham and Sarah give birth to who? Isaac. And Isaac is the promised one, and he a, a, a later becomes a representative of Jesus when Abraham is on the mountain and is going to sacrifice Isaac. And it says that the ram is caught in the thorns, right? Right? And that is where their salvation comes. Of course, Jesus later is wearing what? The crown of thorns. Uh, And the thorns only came on earth after man sinned, right? When we sin, it says, then the thorns and the thistles and the weeds started growing. And so that's a result of sin and just a great picture of Jesus and and the Father God rescuing us in the middle of our sin and our brokenness. And even turning that... And using that to bring salvation. So Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. He's the promised child. He's a a picture of who Jesus is. Later on you have Jacob and Rachel. Jacob had two wives. I preached on him a couple weeks ago. Names were Leah and Rachel. And it says one of them was, was physically barren. Rachel was unable to have children. So what did she do? The same thing that Sarah did. The same exact thing. She said, I'm going to try to make this happen. It's not happening for me the right way. And so I'm going to do something and I'm going to call it God. <laughs> I mean, is that what we do sometimes? We, we, make, we do something. We try to get a feeling for ourselves since we're like spirit-filled Pentecostal, you know. We're into feelings, right? So we're like, I'm just going to put on a worship song and I'm going to try to get a feeling I'm gonna to try to just feel better. I just wanna, I just wanna feel different. You know, a lot of times our feelings we don't need feelings. Sometimes you, faith doesn't always have feelings. Worshiping God doesn't always have feelings. Sometimes it does, but it, it's not required. You're not required to have feelings to worship God. You can worship God totally out of faith and say, You're worthy. It doesn't matter if I feel like it, God. It doesn't matter if I want to. It doesn't matter if I'm tired. It doesn't matter if I'm having a bad year or a bad decade. It doesn't matter. I can still say, I'm going to worship you, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worth it. If you give me nothing else, you're worth it. And so Rachel does the same thing, right? Right? It says, she says, Jacob, I'm not able to have kids, so here's my servant. You have kids through her, and they're going to count as mine. But God has to later, of course, show up and miraculously do something in her body so she's able to have kids. And who is is the one that she has first is Joseph, who is also another promised son. And Joseph is the promised son that ultimately brings deliverance for the people of God. Because they had to get to Egypt. They had to get into slavery. Like, another 400 years of something bad going on. There's lots of 400 year periods in the Bible. (laughs) So you thought 2020 was long? (laughs) 400 years in Egypt... (laughs) Long time. 400 years of waiting for the Messiah, uh, for the prophecies to to come forth is a long time. And so Joseph, of course, is another promised son in the scriptures. And a third one that I believe is highlighted in a fascinating way is the account of King David and his wife Michal. Or sometimes they've called her Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L, however you want to say her name. I don't really know. It's probably more like Michal. But, uh, and she is barren only after something she does in her life. David, the king, I, I know I'm going through a lot of stuff today, but I hope you can track with it. This is in the book of Samuel. David, it says, he wanted to bring the ark of God's presence back into, the, into Jerusalem. And so he he brings it back in, and it says David was so worshipful that he begins to dance like a foolish person before God. And it says his worship was just crazy. I mean, he was just so celebrating who God is and the presence of God coming into the temple again that he goes nuts. But his wife later calls him out on it. She says, oh, that was really nice. You took off your outer garments and spread yourself out before all the all the ladies and acted like a fool. I mean, it's bad enough you act like a fool in my house with me, but can, can you leave it here, right? <laughs> my wife has never told me that, so um, <laughs> probably needed to sometimes, but... Uh, so she she just declares and what does David say I don't care I don't care if I look like a fool but I'll become even more undignified than this I'm going I'm going to in other words I'm going to worship God and I don't care what anybody else thinks I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship Him. I'm gonna do something. And I'm not gonna worry about who's watching. I'm not gonna worry about what somebody else says. I don't even care if it's the closest person in my life. If they're gonna criticize me, it doesn't matter. I'm still gonna worship Jesus. And I'm gonna do it in a way that brings glory to Him. And if it brings humility to me, then maybe I'm in the right place. And it says an interesting phrase. It says, and Michal had no children for the rest of her life. That barrenness was brought upon her because she criticized somebody else's worship. Basically, she didn't recognize the moment of what was happening and honored the honesty and authentic worship of of her husband, David. And so those are like... To me, those are three of the hugely significant mentions of barrenness in the Old Testament. And so, sometimes the barrenness comes in our lives It's just a season. You know, there's, there's seasons with God. Uh, maybe he's, he's bringing you through a silent season. Why is He doing that? Well, I don't know. But maybe He has to have you in the silent season so you're ready to receive the season of fruitfulness and birthing and promise that He wants to give you in the future. But in the middle of the silent season, are you going to be like all the others who tried to make something happen for God? Are you going to trust and wait upon the promise of God? Because God had already spoken about what He was going to do. He'd been saying over and over again, The Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. Over and over there is there is There's hundreds of prophecies of Messiah in the Old Testament. And Isaiah gets some, and Micah gets some, and Daniel gets some. And in the book of Psalms, David gets some. And they're all over the place speaking about what God is going to do and His purposes that are going to be carried out. And He is not going to forget His people. So if you're in the silent time, you have to hold on to what God has already said. You can't try to make something up. You can't, you know, make God tell you what you want to hear. I mean, have you ever done that before? I've done it before. I'm I'm serious. I've done it before and it was painful. It was super painful. I made God tell me that I was going to marry somebody else way before I met Ashley. (laughs) Just to clear that up. I was convinced because I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I was super spiritual then, way more spiritual than I am now. (laughs) I was like 21. (laughs) I knew everything. No, 24, whatever. I still knew everything from 21 to 24. I knew everything. (laughs) 23, I don't know, something like that. Uh, It was actually from 0 to 23 I knew everything. And I finally realized it's not true in the last year. So that was for my wife. So are you watching this later? No, you're not. Okay. um, So, I mean, I seriously did that. I pray. I mean, it was a really super spiritual experience. It's like I didn't watch TV then. I didn't watch movies. I I didn't do anything except go to work and like do God stuff. It was like I was super spiritual. Woo hoo, yeah. <laughs> and so when I wanted to marry this person, guess what? When I prayed, guess what I heard from God? Yes, she's the one. Because that's what I wanted to hear. If you only want to hear one answer from God, you'll hear it and you'll think it's him. But you're trying to create your own baby. Rather than wait for the promise of God, I didn't marry her. Obviously, <laughs> she married somebody else uh, very soon after that. <laughs> very soon. <laughs> that was that's an interesting story for another time. Um, so, in the middle of our what seems like our barrenness. We have to trust the promise of God, and I want to close by going to this scripture here in Isaiah 54. This is such a powerful scripture that has so many promises in it, and is really a you know kind of a a promise of Messiah. You know, Isaiah 53 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Uh, in fact, if you took Isaiah 53 out of the Bible, you'd, you'd miss a whole lot about who Jesus is and what He was called to do. But because Isaiah 53 is in the Bible, we can connect all the stuff in the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament because it talks about Jesus' suffering and His death and His sacrifice and His resurrection. And so... Um, All those things are there in Isaiah 53. So that's that chapter. Isaiah 53 is all about the servant who is the Messiah who's going to lay down his life, who's going to be beaten beyond recognition as a human being. He's going to take our pains and sufferings and bear our sins and by his stripes we're healed and he's going to be cut off and oppressed and he's going to be, uh, God is going to crush him for our iniquities and he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's He's going to bear the sins of many and make intercession. In other words, He's going to do it for somebody else. But then Isaiah 54 starts out with this amazing promise, and it says this, "...Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband," says the Lord. What's God saying right there? I know it's prophet language, but what is it saying in there, right there? It's saying you're going to see things that are impossible in your life. You're going to have more than someone... You know, in other words... The woman who's never had children and has no possibility of having children is going to have more children and more spiritual life, really, is what it's talking about, than the one who has had it their whole lives. It's going to be made up. God's going to to flip the switch. He's going to do something amazing. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desert. Desolate cities. In other words, you're gonna you're gonna need to take a step of faith. So the, I believe there are several things in this in this passage. It says, Don't be afraid in verse 4, you'll not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Verse six, the Lord will call you back, and as if you are wife deserted and distressed in spirit. And then it goes on to the end, there's all these promises about overcoming affliction and all these things, and God says, I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, this is verse 12, and all your walls of precious stones, all your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. And then in verse 16 it says... See, it's I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into the flame and forges a weapon for its work, and it is I who created the destroyer to wreak habit. No weapon forged against you will prevail or prosper, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord." And so there's there's four things in here that I'm going to quickly pull out. Number one is this. It starts in verse 1. It says, Rejoice, barren woman, so you worship before you see it. It says, Rejoice, barren woman. It says, in other words, You haven't seen anything yet, but go ahead and praise. Go ahead and be in joy. Go ahead and rejoice. So in your life, worship before you see it. Number two is this. Take a step of faith. What does it say in verse 2 and 3 there? It says, Hey, spread out your tents. That's a step of faith. In other words, I don't have, I don't need more room right now, but God's saying spiritually, if you want to prepare for something, you have to expect it, so make a bigger place for me to do something. Take a step of faith. Whatever that looks like for you, what risk for God is He asking you to do that only He can fill? That only He can do something in? If that's it, stretch out your tent pegs. Give Him a bigger, give Him something bigger to work with. Number three is this from verses 12 and following. Let the Lord build you. It says, look, He's gonna, I'm going to build you up with rubies and jewels and all these amazing things, stones of turquoise, um, and all, you know. In other words, you're going to, it's going to be amazing if you just let me build it. So let God build you. Let Him do what He needs to do in your life. He's the only one that's going to make this mess look beautiful. And don't don't discount that God will build you because of your past. I mean, look at all the people he worked with in this Bible. Look at all of them. Abraham, we just went over him. Abraham, the father of faith, he had to lie about his wife several times because he couldn't trust God that he could just make it through a city without lying that his wife wasn't married to him. Jacob had to steal from everybody his whole life. You know, it's like he just—he's to, a total swindler, just a guy that worked the system. You know, I mean, there's a few guys that didn't mess it up, but almost everyone. You know, Noah is—you is, know—rescued in the ark, and after that, he decides I'm going to get—I'm going to get totally stone cold drunk. I'm going to lay naked in my tent. I mean, those are the people God used. Are you worse than that? (laughs) Maybe, but still. There's some more really bad ones in there too. (laughs) But let the Lord build you. In those seasons, maybe God is building you. He's not doing anything else, but He's building something in you. He's allowing you to be ready to be prepared for the season of promise. And the result is this, number four, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You will receive supernatural protection. Notice that God says, look, I'm I'm forging the weapons. In other words, it doesn't matter if the destroyer wants to do something. No weapon forged against you will prosper. Notice he didn't say that no weapon will be forged. He says there will be weapons formed against you. There will be things that come against your life. There will be things that appear that are being, that are being shaped and fashioned by somebody who is against you, but that weapon will not prevail. It doesn't say it won't hurt you. It doesn't say you won't feel pain. It doesn't say there won't be a battle. It doesn't say that you won't be harmed in any way. It just says it will not prevail. God's victory will prevail. In the midst of those battles. And no accusation or condemnation will come against you. Those words that are spoken against you. It says he will refute. He will basically cut off the power of those words. He will, he will, he will make it as if they have not happened. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is your inheritance as the people of God. And so, because of Jesus, all this is now fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. What does it say in, in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians? Jesus is the yes and the amen to all the promises of God. He's the yes and the amen. What does the amen mean? <laughs> it's done. <laughs> so be it, it be done. (laughs) He's the Amen. So, no matter what, if you find yourself in a season where it seems like you're in a season of barrenness, you might turn to Isaiah 54. Read that over yourself. Turn to some of the promises of God in in the Scriptures throughout the Bible. Go to the book of Ephesians. Read Ephesians 1 over yourself. I've been chosen by God. I've been I've been redeemed. I've been set free. I've been put in a new new place with Jesus. I've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenlies. Find something in the scriptures that declares the truth of God and declare it over your life even if it looks like the darkness is winning. I'm going to declare the light in the middle of the darkness. So let's stand up. I want to pray over you. If that's if you're dealing with this in this season, I feel like this is a word, maybe it's just for one person, maybe it's for every single person that's here today. I just feel like God wanted to to, to break a mindset of being stuck in spiritual barrenness, of being stuck in deadness spiritually, of being stuck in confusion, of being stuck in uh, basically with the, no hope, of hopelessness, of uh, being stuck in discouragement or depression of being stuck in just a place of darkness. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we just declare the blessing of Jesus upon these lives. We thank you for the promise, God, that you rescued us, that you used sinful people to bring about that rescue. You used people like Zechariah who wouldn't believe your word, but you still brought the promise. You still brought John the Baptist. You still brought Jesus through Mary. And you still brought salvation to the whole earth through Jesus. And we are reminded in this season that there is always hope, there is always promise, and it's found in you, O Lord. It's found in you, Jesus. And so if we get our eyes off you, Jesus, help us begin to focus on you once again. And so, Lord, anyone who's experiencing that right now spiritually in their lives, Lord, we just call forth the promises of God in their hearts. Lord, we call forth hope to awake. We call faith into their lives to begin to step out in faith and take a risk for you, even though they don't feel like it, even though it doesn't seem like it can happen, God. We just thank you, Lord, that you are rejuvenating hearts this morning. God, you're renewing hearts this morning. You're releasing hearts into freshness. Freshness, God. And Lord, you are strengthening hearts, Lord. You are building hearts this morning. And so we just declare over over every single person that we will be fruitful. We will be fruitful spiritually. God, we will not try to do it on our own. Lord, we repent. We repent where we have tried to make things happen, where we've created our own Ishmaels, where we've had had our own spiritual babies on our own, so to speak. We've tried to make something happen, and it's not been you where we have prayed and we've only wanted to hear one answer, and we have only heard the answer that we want to hear, not the God answer, not the sovereign answer that is working in our lives and in all of creation, God, but we've wanted our little answer that we think will change our world. We repent of not listening to the voice of God, of not being open to whatever you would do in our our lives, of not being to lay down anything in our future, of not being able to lay down anything that's on this earth, to lay it down as an offering of sacrifice and worship to you, even if it's the greatest thing, it's not. it doesn't compare with you. So we thank you for that today, God. We thank you for freshness. We thank you for revelation, God. Lord, we thank you for encounters with you, Lord. Whether it's loud or quiet, Lord, we know that we want to hear your voice. And we ask, Lord, for those who haven't heard the voice of God, that they will begin to hear once again. Lord, you said, my sheep hear my voice. That's a promise of God. My sheep hear my voice. The people of God are meant to hear the voice of God. And so right now we just declare that any blockage or many any confusion would be cleared off of hearts today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We just thank you for freshness, the voice of God, the true voice of the Holy Spirit being released in lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just give you all the praise today. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your gift to us, your gift of life, your gift of salvation, your gift of love that you've given to us. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 If you need prayer, uh, our leaders are going to come on up and to the front here. We would love to pray with you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, now is the time to do that. If you need healing in your body, we would love to see God touch your body today. Whatever you need, don't go without getting prayer in Jesus' name. Be blessed. Ladies tonight at 5.30. 5.30 ladies tonight.